Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon, all. Welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It is Wednesday, July 26th. I'm Rick Jackson, pleased to moderate our conversation today about Issue 1, a constitutional amendment which appears on the ballot for the August 8th special election. If approved, Issue 1 would make changing the state's constitution more difficult. Specifically, the ballot proposal would raise the threshold for future constitutional amendments and require a 60% supermajority of Ohio voters to pass instead of the current simple majority, 50% plus one. Additionally, future proposed constitutional amendments would have to meet a significantly higher petition signature threshold just to get on the ballot. It would require signatures from voters in all 88 counties as opposed to the 44 county threshold currently in place. Issue 1 was put on the ballot by the Ohio Legislature, which is currently controlled by a supermajority of Republicans, all but five of whom voted in favor of placing it on the ballot. In addition to those legislators who advanced it, Issue 1 has been endorsed by the Ohio Chamber of Commerce and Ohio Right to Life, among other groups. The issue has been targeted by many opponents. Local opponents of the issue include the Cleveland City Council, Greater Cleveland Congregations, and Northeast Ohio Voter Advocates. In a statement urging Ohioans to vote no on Issue 1, Cleveland City Council said the proposed amendment, quote, would destroy citizen-driven ballot initiatives as we know them, upending Ohioans' right to make decisions, thereby making it more difficult to amend the state constitution, close quote. Today, we'll hear from both sides. Speaking on behalf of Issue 1 advocates, we are pleased to welcome State Representative Susan Manchester, a Republican representing the region around Lima, Ohio. Also on the vote yes side is Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Representing the opposition to Issue 1, we have another Republican, former Attorney General of Ohio, Betty Montgomery, and the lone Republican on the stage here, former Ohio Governor, lone Democrat. Lone Democrat. <laughs> Democrat. <laughs> wow. I retire and I'm making mistakes already. Former Ohio Governor Dick Celeste. We'll be welcoming audience questions in the second half of the program, as always. If you'd like to send one in now, you may text it, 330-541-5794, the number. Again, 330-541-5794. You can also tweet your question at the City Club. The staff here will try and work it into the second half of our program. Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming Representative Susan Manchester, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, former AG Betty Montgomery, and former Democratic Governor... Richard Celeste. <laughs> Secretary LaRose, let me start with you. Thanks for being here. Start by telling us what about this amendment would be good for the state of Ohio? Yeah, well, everything about it, because what it does is protects the Ohio Constitution Don't laugh yet. from out-of-state special interests that have figured out that the Ohio Constitution is an easy mark. Let's talk about what constitutions exist for. Constitutions lay out the framework of government, three branches, how a bill becomes a law, enumerated powers, etc., and fundamental rights, things that we broadly, a broad bipartisan cross-section of us agree on, not just simply 50% plus one. 
Constitutions are not for policymaking. That work is done in the Ohio Revised Code. And there's multiple ways to do that. One is by working with the General Assembly, but of course the other way, which will still be alive and well after the passage of Issue 1, is the citizen initiative process for initiated statute. Issue 1 doesn't impact that. All it says is that the policymaking, if you wish to make policy in the Ohio Constitution, has to build a broad bipartisan consensus of at least 60%. You've got to gather signatures in all 88 counties, and you've got to get the right number the first time. By the way, this puts Ohio in the mainstream with most other states in the country by protecting our state constitution. Thank you. And we should note, this is not a debate. There are no time limits here. This is a conversation as is city club policy. Governor Celeste, what about this amendment is bad for Ohio? <laughs> well, it's, a, it's an amendment seeking a problem that doesn't exist, Rick. Uh, and it's sad that in more than 100 years, uh, we've seen our Constitution respected by the people of Ohio and on rare occasions changed by the people of Ohio. And this amendment would uh, seek to make it far more difficult for Ohioans to pass uh, a citizen-initiated amendment. Uh, the reality is uh, there's a dramatic difference between what we think of as Constitution with the federal government that's a constitution with 4,400 words in it. And what we think of as a constitution for state government, that's a constitution with 66,000 words in it. It prescribes a variety of things, but just give, to give you one example, uh, it, it uh, was the way in which we had to actually deal with water problems in the city of Cleveland and in Northeast Ohio. And when communities around Cleveland decided they wanted to participate in the Cleveland water system, the constitution of the state of Ohio had to be changed. And it is something that is precious for the people of Ohio. Uh, it, it's ironic, of course, that, that the Secretary of State says that this is a simple change. When we move from 44 county requirement for signatures to 88 county requirement for signatures, we make the process dramatically more difficult. It's basically an effort to keep the people's voice silent and <laughs> let the voices of legislators take the lead. Um, I, I was disappointed, frankly, that uh, this made it to the ballot. I was uh, surprised that the Secretary of State has decided that 88 counties make sense when last November he didn't think it made sense and said put more power in the, in the hands of special interests. So, uh, this is a step backward for the state of Ohio, not a step forward. Rick, I suppose I should respond to that. I know we're not having a debate, but the, the governor invoked my name when, when it comes to that. Listen, my proposal last year, which has been something I've been talking about since I served in the state Senate, was to increase the threshold. I was not a major proponent of the signature threshold uh, change. That was a choice that the General Assembly made. The governor knows that when you go through the legislative process, it is a collaborative process. It wasn't my doing. It was what the state legislature chose to put in there. And I do think it's a laudable change because, again, Ohioans will still have the ability to put a constitutional question on the ballot, which only exists in 17 other states, including a lot of states like Delaware and, and places like that where no ability exists at all for citizens to propose an amendment. It has to come from a constitutional convention or from the floor of the state legislature. Ohioans will still have that process, but we shouldn't be making changes for the whole state when only half the counties even want to see that on the ballot. I was going to go there, but thank you for the explanation. <clears throat> Representative Manchester, even though it's been done 
roughly 170 times. Isn't it already very hard for Ohio citizens to amend the Constitution? Why is this extra layer of protection necessary? Well, first of all, I would say that I think the Founding Fathers of the United States got it right when they required a 66% threshold within the Congress to amend the Constitution, and then a 75% threshold across the country in order to amend the U.S. Constitution. That's why the United States Constitution has only been amended 27 times. But in Ohio's history, with the Constitution having a much shorter history than the U.S. Constitution, it's been amended over 170 times. And to the Secretary's point, I think our Constitution is meant to be that founding document, the framework that sets our rights forward, and that should not be subject to the will of special interests from across the country. Frankly, there are many issues that deserve a healthy debate, and that debate needs to happen in the state legislature where we have the Ohio Revised Code that is able to um, adjust to the will of the legislature, which is ultimately the will of the people. All of the people in the legislature are duly elected by the citizens of Ohio. This is not taking away anybody's right to participate in the process. It's simply raising that bar to 60%. Everybody gets a vote, everyone gets to participate, and that's why I'm supporting it. Thank you. Betty Montgomery, you've used a hard-hitting word, hypocrisy, describing the use of special interest money to ostensibly stop the use of special interest money having influence in the Ohio legislature. Can you back the accusation that non-state funds are behind this? Well, we know that a millionaire out of, I think, Illinois has funded a great percentage of this, uh, the yes portion of the campaign. And as you speak about special interests, I, I just have to say, uh, it is hypocritical to talk about special interests not being able to amend the Constitution. There's special, in, in, uh, special interests right now working on the yes side. There are, and, and why is that? Uh, going to what Susan, uh, Representative Manchester has said, if you take a look at 88 counties and requiring 88 counties with no cure, no ability for folks when they get a signature, if they don't have enough to go back and create uh, more signatures as we have currently. When you talk about 88 counties, you're talking about uh, 44 of them, many of whom, if you go to Vinton County, if you go to some of these small counties, they don't even have a grocery store. So there's a reason why it was written the way it was uh, in 1912 and before, 1912. So you take a look at why do they worry about special, why do we worry about special interests? Special interests are behind this because they know they can get to the legislature. The legislature is persuadable in ways that we've seen already. All you have to take a look recently is in the, in the uh, Speaker Householder and Matt Borges uh, convictions. Uh, where they know that they can go, and the worry is in these smaller counties, is one county, one county with persuadable, bribable uh, elected official, or officials could put an end to 80, 87 counties who want to have this done. And that's the problem. We have no, you're kicking the, the, you're kicking out the checks and balances, and as I think the Akron Beaker Journal says, you're letting the FBI be our checks and balances. That's not what we want in Ohio. I do want to dig deeper into that. But, 
But while we're talking money, though, I would like to hear from both sides, because both of you have accused the others of using special interest money. Betty, where is your money coming from? And then, Susan, where is your side's money coming from? Well, I'm, I'm sure that there are monies coming from uh, all sorts of uh, local people as well as national people. I'm, I'm, I can't identify them specifically. My, my problem is that whether they're lobbyists or whether they're national uh, millionaires, is who is most persuadable? And why do they go to the legislature? Why don't they want the Constitution to be capable of being amended? When you can't get something done through the legislature, the democratic, in our democracy, we allow the people to speak. And when you take a look at it being easy to amend, out of uh, only 19 of 71 amendments have been passed. Ohioans are judicious. They pass what needs to be passed. And where there is a problem, for example, there was one problem with the casino where, where special interests really got a hold of the Constitution. We immediately, in, in 2015, changed that. That door was closed. Amendments won't happen like that anymore. And so I would only say to you that it's really important that the public has a capacity to change the Constitution when they cannot get it changed. They cannot get the law changed because folks with money uh, and with influence in the legislature get what Larry Householder got with First Energy. Representative, do you have any more detail? Absolutely. And I'm honestly so thankful that uh, the former Attorney General, General brought up the Larry Householder situation because I'm proud to say that as a Republican legislator, I did not support Larry Householder for Speaker, and I voted against House Bill 6. And I would also like to say that the consequences have been served for that entire situation. Justice was served. Larry Householder and Matt Borges were both sentenced. And I think that's an important precedent to set for the state of Ohio that our legislature is not for sale. We just simply want to say that our Constitution is also not for sale. Our Constitution is not for sale. I personally can't speak to who's funding or who's donating to the yes side, but what I can say is that this issue is only going to pass with the grassroots support of Ohioans across the state. I speak for a very agricultural heavy district. Agriculture is the number one industry in this state. I had a lovely two hour and 45 minute drive to get here and it was beautiful to pass by all the fields of corn and soybeans. I'm proud of our heritage and I for one know many farmers in my district who don't want out of state interests, who don't understand how farming works to dictate how our agriculture industry is done. So I just have to say that, of course, there's special interests involved in this, but I, I, I am hard-pressed to say that the legislature is the only one amenable to that. We want to protect our legislative process, and most importantly, we want to protect our Constitution by raising that threshold. Secretary LaRose, I wanted to follow up something that uh, Ms. Montgomery had said there, the idea of 88 counties needing to provide signatures. Um, it does amount to a sense of a veto power of a measure by even a small county such as Noble. 
no other state has a bar that high. Why should Ohio? Well, first of all, you're assuming that there's unanimity that a county says we are all going to refuse to sign a petition. And the attorney general misspoke when she said that the elected officials in a county would get to make that no, decision. That's not, yeah. that's, okay, because what it really is is go to the county fair. And if you think that you have a popular idea, then people will sign your petition. And if you don't, then, then they won't. To disrespect the rural parts of our state and say that you know that 44 counties should get to decide what goes on the ballot and the rest of them not is is pretty hypocritical. But again, remember, only 17 states even have a citizen-initiated constitutional amendment process. How about the other vast majority of states in the country that don't even allow that? Ohio will continue to have it. We'll continue to have it, and probably so. One other thing that was mentioned is how many times issues have passed versus not passed in recent decades. The vast majority of issues have passed with in excess of 60%. And that's, that's important to, to note. It's not wrong. It's true. And if you look at that, what that tells you is that if you trust the people of Ohio, that they will make a wise decision. And if 51 or 52% like something, then you can work through the initiated statute, initiated statute process or work with the General Assembly. Con, con, These the, the sort of... Uh, um, uh, these consequential decisions about changing the very founding document of our state should not be left to a bare majority. A 60% majority is much wiser. You, you heard the murmur. Aren't there just two that passed with the 60%? No. If you look at the history over recent decades, uh, many of them, recent. including bond issues, for example, uh, Third Frontier passed in its most recent iteration with in excess of 60%. Just last year, we passed a constitutional amendment wisely to say that only U.S. citizens can vote in U.S. elections here in Ohio. That passed with somewhere in the 70% range. Is that and so, by citizens? That was initiated by the state legislature. Yeah. But what my point is, is that the issues that have been considered by the citizens, if they are not a controversial issue, and again, constitutions should not be where we handle these controversial 51 or 52 percent issues. It's where we handle things that we broadly agree on, and that's what a supermajority allows. I think yeah, we I, had can like I, 138 amendments proposed, if that number is correct, and they passed, they were they initiated by the legislature, yeah. which is wholly different than if they're initiated yeah. by the public. Can I So you've mentioned that only 17 states have this. Those 17 states were the states that stood up against the robber barons back in the days when we were uh, having progressive legislation to stop what was going on when people were buying their cities and their states across the country. And if you look, and, we, and that's a proud part of our heritage. First speaker of the city club was Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt came to speak to the Ohio Constitutional Convention in 1912 for that reason. And he said, let the people's voice be heard. Well, in the last 15 years, 51 times people have approached the Attorney General with petitions to put, this is citizen initiative petitions to go on the ballot. Only 12 of them made it to the ballot. And only half of them passed with a 50% plus one majority. This is not something which is being excessively used to somehow lead our state astray. It is a proud tradition that we have. It's an important tradition that we have, and it respects the voice of every single Ohioan. When you turn it into a situation where 40% of the people can say no to 60% of the people, that's 
wrong. And that's probably why, that's probably why, that's probably why, Rick, all four former governors, not just Dick Celeste, uh, four former governors, two Republicans and two Democrats think it's a bad idea. That's why I think all of the all living uh, uh, colleagues of, of Betty Montgomery as Attorney General think it's a bad idea. Go ahead, Mr. Lawrence. So I'm interested in talking about the future. I understand the past here, but what we're talking about is preventing any series of things from coming to Ohio that have been talked about. It's not just this radical abortion amendment that we're looking at in November, but it's also we'll get there. please <laughs> civil debate that we're having here. It's it's also a massive increase in minimum wage that's been proposed for next November. And after that, it could be livestock standards sure. written in California. It could be that. And, and, and who knows what other things that wanna, you know, people want to bring to Ohio. It's about protecting the Constitution by trusting the people to approve it at a 60% majority. It's also something uh, worth noting that, of course, the U.S. Constitution, as my colleague mentioned, has to be approved with 75% of the states. And so if a bare majority is so wise, would my colleague up here like to amend the U.S. Constitution so that 50% of the states can change it? I don't think so. It would be a foolish idea to do so. You touched on about three different things there that I wanted to follow up on. Let me just pick one, though. <clears throat> Excuse me, you mentioned gerrymandering. Mm -hmm. The whole idea right now is that if we don't like what the legislature is doing, we should change the legislators. Correct. Because of the way this state is set up, that's a near impossibility for us right now. <clears throat> I disagree. The state, lines, the state lines of our state have been in place since 1803. They haven't changed. Everything from the, the lake state to the lines, river. But not the and legislative lines. If you look at the statewide elections that we've had, my party has done overwhelmingly well in statewide elections. And so to say that somehow Ohioans are not majority Republican or majority conservative is simply ignorant of the of the facts. <laughs> why why? <laughs> Why did these, the Ohio Supreme Court four times send back the last redistricting and you and your colleagues ignored them? Okay. So do courts never get things wrong? Does the U.S. Supreme Court ever get anything Ooh. wrong? The Ohio Ooh. Supreme Court got Ooh. that badly wrong, including inventing words that don't appear in you, the Constitution. You're smarter than... The, the Ohio Supreme Court invented words that don't appear in the Constitution like symmetry and ordered us to do things that don't appear in the Constitution like hiring some out-of-state map drawers that proved that it was an impossible task to meet their standards. They told us to draw X number of Democratic districts mm. and X number of Republican districts. Mm. The redistricting commission did exactly what the court ordered and still, in a very political decision, rejected the maps that we drew, even though we drew the exact numbers they told us to draw. It's, it's not a whole a different forum, but thank you. Uh, <clears throat> what we haven't addressed, and as you just heard the audience yeah. wants to, is this idea that the abortion issue is strong here. Opponents argue the special August election is specifically meant to interfere with a reproductive rights amendment expected to appear on our ballots in November. Representative Manchester, if that is not the case, why the rush to do this election August 8th? Well, for myself and many of my legislative colleagues in the Ohio House and Senate, 
we supported having this on the ballot in May. And we worked very hard to try to ensure that that would happen because we thought that that was going to be the best option available to Ohioans. Unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. And so we did develop an August election. But I do want to be clear that the Ohio Constitution does give the General Assembly the authority to set an election at any time and any day. And we wouldn't want to do that. I think we have been very reserved in exercising that right. And so, of course, an August election wasn't my first choice. I don't believe it was the Secretary's first choice either. Unfortunately, that's where we ended up. But we're doing it in August, and I would encourage people to show up to the polls because this is a very important election and one that everyone is going Betty to take seriously. Can I, can I uh, just respond to that? I, I, with, and I say this with all due respect. I think, albeit we've all le been legislators here, we, don't, we know how difficult the legislative process is. But I, with all due respect, I think that it has been deliberately drafted. When you take a look, 88 counties, no cure, and then you combine it with an August election where we only had 8% showing up at the last August election, where the General Assembly just last year said no August elections, so I think it was mm -hmm. last General Assembly. You see, with all due respect, you see a deliberate attempt to prevent any attempts to, to get a constitution amended because when you think about, when folks say it's so easy and we're, we're a target for easy amendments, well, we, we know the numbers tell you that's not true. We also know the numbers tell us it spends millions of, you have to raise millions of dollars to get the, the, the signatures. You have to have raise millions of dollars to defend the, your position in court. Then you have to raise millions of dollars to get it on the, uh, to, to campaign it, put it on television, do it on radio, do it all on all of the media. When you take a look at all of that, it is a daunting task to get anything on the ballot. But when you combine it with 88 counties, no cure period, and an August election, you, you really have kicked the, uh, the supports, the foundations of checks and balances out. And again, with all due respect, the FBI is not our foundation checks and balance. It shall not be. We should be. And to do that, the public needs to be that checks and balance. First of all, I do just want to make the point with the 88 counties. I recognize that there are some counties in our state that are very small in population. But these ballot initiatives matter to those people. Those people are still affected by them. And I think their voice should count in the early stages of getting it on the ballot. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking the good people of Benton County to participate in getting these issues on the ballot if they so desire. Okay. Governor? I, think I, I just want to point out that in the circulation of the ballots on the reproductive choice issue, there are signatures from 88 counties the question is, do you meet a threshold in 88 counties? That's the issue. Yeah. And you yourself, Frank, last November said that creating a threshold like this would invite, it would mean that only people with huge access to funds would be able to, to wage an effective campaign. And that's not what we want. I mean, I think the, the people of Ohio deserve an opportunity. We're not silencing any county. We're not ignoring any county. And anyone who's serious about passing a citizen-led initiative should be working in every county. But to meet the threshold in 88 counties is a different matter. 
And as somebody who spent a lot of time campaigning around the state, I love our rural counties. I'd like to be able to go to 44 rural counties to get my signatures faster than in the urban counties, build it up. Um, that's the idea that uh, this is not a bar is, is wrong. It's, we're not saying you only campaign in 80 counties or get signatures in 44 counties. It, the, 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 the reality is, as I think uh, Betty Montgomery pointed out, these steps, and particularly the August election, why are we doing this in August? Every serious citizen-led, every serious citizen-led effort to reform the Constitution has been on the ballot in November when people really vote. When it should be. And again, we can do this history in this history debate, but the very amendment that we're talking about that created the initiated constitutional amendment process and set the bar, I would argue too low at 50%, was passed in a September special election 111 years ago. Because and of so the there, convention. And so, the, okay, so there, there's a lot of different reasons to have elections at different times, but the state legislature has the authority to set the time, place, and manner of elections. It was also a really good thing to eliminate August special elections for local levies and all these things that generally fly below the radar. Issue one doesn't fly below the radar. Every Ohioan who's paying attention is well aware That's that there's, the a, there's an opportunity. In the summer. A lot well, of people are paying attention. I'm proud to say I was on the ballot in the last August special election. The two counties I represent had the highest voter turnout of the entire state. They were paying attention. And what was that? And I believe you that the people in this room are a great example of folks who are engaged in paying attention. I believe too much in the Ohio voter to say that they're just Amen. going to ignore this because it's in August. Amen. They are engaged, and I will tell you in my district, people from farmers to small business owners to moms and dads care about this issue, and they're going to show up. You're the Secretary of State. How many people, what percentage are you going to predict are going to turn out in this well, election? So you know we don't predict the numbers that people are going to show up. Well, why are we laughing about that? That's not, it's not a wise thing to do. I hope it's 100%. We always work hard to try to get that turnout. And again, with Ohio's four weeks of early voting, four weeks of absentee voting, and in-person election day voting, we're among the most permissive in the country when we make it easy to vote. And if you're not aware that there's an August 8th special election, then you're simply not paying attention. So and what this percentage? Is something so you generally give a sense, when the press asks you, you generally give a sense of what you think will no, be I the turnout. I don't those numbers, but we hope they're as high as can possibly be. We certainly know that we're seeing high turnout for early voting, and that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Before we go to the audience questions, let's stay on this subject one last time here, because both Franklin and Cuyahoga County are reporting higher numbers than usual in advance for this kind of election. I'd like to hear from each side, and I'll go to you, Representative, and then you, Governor. Does it help or hurt you to have a higher turnout this time? I think it's great to have a high turnout. I don't care if they're from Franklin, Cuyahoga, Auglaize, or Benton County. I want everybody in the state of Ohio to participate in this. This is incredibly important. I think we all know that. We wouldn't be here today if we didn't think this was important. And so I am hoping for high turnouts across the state in all 88 counties. Governor, do you think it's going to help your cause? Early voting, I think, will help. Uh, I think the more people who vote, the better on this, because this is protecting our right to vote. So I would encourage everybody to get out and vote. But I think it's disingenuous to suggest that uh, August 8th is a good decision time for a, an issue of this importance. I just think that uh, we know, we know, 
Mr. Secretary of State, that putting an issue of this importance on the ballot on the 8th of August is not the right thing to do. And the legislature really should have put it in the, on the ballot for November. That would have been the right time to do it. But. <laughs> we, are, we are about to begin the audience Q&A. I love your enthusiasm, but let's try and give them space to answer the questions. I'm Rick Jackson. We're joined by Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, Representative Susan Manchester, former Attorney General of Ohio Betty Montgomery, and the former Governor Richard Celeste. We welcome questions from everyone here, City Club members, guest students, those joining us via live stream at cityclub.org. If you'd like to tweet a question for our speaker, tweet it at the City Club. You can also text it, that number again, 330-541-5794. The City Club staff will try and work it into the program. May we have the first question, please? Hi there. Uh, my name is Dr. Lauren Bean. I'm a general pediatrician. I'm also the executive director of Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights. Um, and my question is um, for Secretary LaRose. How are you not ethically conflicted as you are the chief elections officer of our great state of Ohio while also pushing this um, issue one and being very strongly opposed so much against the Reproductive Freedom Amendment that you're now campaigning for U.S. Senate um, with the endorsement alongside of the top anti-abortion um, extremist uh, lobbyist in the state, Mike Gonadakis. Well, thank you for the question. It's important to, to understand that um, as a elected official who runs on a party ticket, which is how every Secretary of State in at least recent history has been elected in the state of Ohio, I'm a member of a political party. I was overwhelmingly reelected last year, in fact, with a record number of votes. No Secretary of State in Ohio has ever gotten that, so I think that was a vote of confidence that Ohioans want a Republican Secretary of State as their Chief Elections Officer. In the work that I do as Secretary of State, I wear the referee's jersey. I'm completely unbiased in how we call those balls and shots. I mean, I mean I, this is how we do the work. Listen, I've taken a number of oaths throughout my life, including one to preserve and protect the Constitution and been willing to risk my life to do so. I take that oath as a solemn obligation, and my duty is to follow the law whether I like it or not. Yesterday, I approved a amendment to go on the November ballot because they had the requisite number of signatures, even though I deeply disagree with every word of that amendment because that's what my duty requires me to do. Now, every Secretary of State has also, when they're not on duty at the Secretary of State's office, had the additional opportunity to be engaged in the political and civil life of our state including when Sherrod Brown was Secretary of State, when Bob Taft was Secretary of State, when Jennifer Bruner was Secretary of State, and, and on and on. And so it's no surprise that as a partisan elected Republican that I'm going to support conservative causes that are consistent with my worldview, and there's absolutely no conflict there. Thank you. No rebuttal needed. Next question. I preface my question by saying that, to make clear, I'm a lifelong card-carrying Republican, and I have great respect uh, for uh, our Secretary of State, though I vehemently disagree with him on this issue. I have great respect and love for Mrs. Montgomery. She was a fantastic public servant. Thank you very much. I, uh, my reason for asking is, uh, the Plain Dealer had a column roughly two weeks ago that listed all of the state uh, amendments that had come up since 1912. I was surprised at the number you quoted there, Representative. I think it was that high, but it doesn't matter. The point being, I was amazed they had the ones that failed and the ones they passed and had the percentage of votes. I was amazed at how many that did pass 
were not at 60%, and mostly were in the 50%. Uh, I thought that was very interesting. Um, I, I'm of the belief, and I thought my party was of the belief, that the majority should rule, yes. 50 plus 1. I think by making it where you make it 60% or whatever, is, is taking away a, a very fundamental right of us to have the majority rule, plus the fact, as sure as God made green apples, they're, if this passes, there are going to come up issues in our lifetime that the Republicans or the conservatives are going to have, and they won't be able to get 60% of the vote. Plus, I think that Mr. Montgomery made a very good point about the fact that you have 88 counties, no grace period. This is, to me, that's rigged. I think it's a serious mistake, and I urge you to get this thing defeated, and, and, and let's get back to majority rules. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. Uh, both of you, go ahead. I appreciate I appreciate your comments uh, because this is not a partisan issue, and I think uh, your perspective underscores that. I think that your uh, analysis is on target. That that if we create a sixty percent threshold, it will be extremely hard for the voice of citizens to be heard, and frankly. To focus on one issue on the ballot, whether it's a very important issue of reproductive choice or any of a number of other issues is wrong, the fundamental principle is the majority should rule. So let me talk about why majority rule is important for many, many aspects of our life, but in many aspects we've also created super majorities, not just in state constitutions, but of course federal constitutions, majority rule is treasured. It, it's something that we embrace for policy making. A 50% plus one vote is perfectly adequate for changing public policy, the day-to-day -day rules of what people can and cannot smoke or where they can gamble or not or what to legalize or what to decriminalize. All of those sort of things, policy making at a 50% plus one threshold makes all the sense in the world. But something is permanent as a constitutional change, demands a higher level of respect and a higher level of authority. This is, by the way, why a lot of smart organizations that are currently opposing issue one have for themselves set a 60% or higher threshold. But listen, no organization that's really thinking about this clearly would want to empower a bare majority to change the rules for everybody else. And that's why the Ohio Democratic Party and the League of Women Voters and the AFL-CIO and the OEA and a lot of other groups have put in place a threshold above 60% to change their own bylaws because it's simply smart to make sure that you're protecting the foundational rules from the change of a 50% plus one vote. Secretary, um, I, I, I have to tell you, I would not be opposed to a, a higher threshold, maybe a few percentages. What I am opposed to, and what's happened here is, I, I hate to use the word conspiracy, but it's almost a conspiracy of when you combine 44, 88 counties, no cure period, and an August election, it looks awfully much like it was intended to close the door and lock it, not to allow uh, people for, for voters who may not recall, just six years ago, we did have an effort to push to 55%, not 60. We did look at moving the threshold once before. You're saying, though, that because of the triumvirate of changes here? Absolutely. Uh, again, I think 
Uh, Ohioans have been very judicious in amendments. And again, there's a very vast difference between an organization and a constitution. There's a vast difference between the federal government, which are structural, fundamental issues, and government, where even in the Federalist Papers, James Madison, who was the author of the Constitution, the father of the Constitution, says in one of the, uh, uh, in, in the debate, during the debates, saying, uh, in, in the papers, uh, saying, look, we set the structure, but we leave to the states running the government, doing the day-to-day -day stuff of governing. And that's what we're saying is the public should have the ability to do that. Now, when you do the triumvirate like we've done, we really have said we're not going to allow that to happen. Let's move yeah. on. Next question, please. Good afternoon. My name is Dolores McCollum. I'm a retired social studies teacher in the Cleveland Schools. My question is specifically for Ms. Susan Manchester and Mr. Frank LaRose. Do you think your threshold of victory for your next elective office should be at 60%? So it's a great question. I love yes. that question. I love that question. All right, it's a great guys. question. It's a wonderful question from a wonderful woman who devoted her life to teaching young people about civics. And so thank you for, thank for you. all that you've mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. We don't elect individuals on a supermajority vote in, in any aspect of, of government, but we're not talking about permanently putting somebody in office, right? We're talking about someone running for a term that then they will be held accountable at the conclusion of that term if they wish to run for another one. Constitutional changes are permanent. Election, elected officials come and go, right? Constitutional changes are forever, and that's why they deserve that higher threshold of 60%. Mm -hmm. Permanent until we amend. They're permanent until they are amended. Well, sure. Representative? Well, I would just add to that, you know, for the legislature to put any of these ballot initiatives up, it requires 60 votes of the 99 in the legislature in order to make that happen. So that's a rule that the legislature follows for putting issues on the ballot. I'd say for myself, you know, um, obviously a simple majority is what works to what the secretary said for elected officials who are subjected to terms, who are subjected to new elections, who aren't there forever. But winning by a higher threshold is nice. <laughs> so, Which I did last year. Can I just point out <laughs> that, that the legislature can uh, put an issue on the ballot with uh, 60 votes, but it, it only requires one person to bring it to the floor. Imagine if every legislator had to agree to bring a constitutional amendment to the floor of the Ohio legislature, if every one of them had to. It's like asking 88 counties to come up with a signature provision. No, and at that, oh yes it is, not yes it is. It's giving every single county an opportunity to veto putting this on the ballot. Have you met a, 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 a county where everyone believes the same thing? No. There, there are a, a diversity not. of ideas. Which is why 44 should be enough. It's why, I'm just telling you, that's the If point. you can't find 500 people at the county fair in Vinton County that think your idea should be on the ballot, it probably shouldn't be on the ballot. Okay. 500 so people. So 500 people in Vinton County could tell the rest of the state you don't have an opportunity to no, vote on this constitution. That's what you're saying. Tell them that they can. It only out of the ten thousand or so that live there, it only have, you only have to find five hundred in order to put something on the ballot. I think, in fairness, we oh. just do have to say that look, some of this is just a stalking horse for what they are fearing coming right. over the yeah. horizon. Sure. And I also want to just say to the uh, uh, social studies teacher. Uh, 
Secretary LaRose has run quality campaigns, quality uh, elections, and despite the fact that much in this, many in this audience don't agree with him, uh, with regards to his ethics and the way he's run campaign, uh, his election to office, I don't think, with all due, and again, I'm a partisan, I realize, but he has done a great job as Secretary of State, so I disagree with him. But. <laughs> Yeah, you're up. <laughs> Mr. LaRose, thank you all for being here. This is democracy. Amen. Amen. Mr. LaRose, I understand you're going to run for Senate. That's correct. So what do you say to Ohioans whose trust you have not gained and have lost over the years, because, especially because of your last-minute reversal and acquiescence to the August special elections in an obvious and very suspicious attempt, just as you just said, Ms. Montgomery, um, by your party to defeat the citizen-led constitutional amendment that is now on the ballot, by the way, um, in this terribly gerrymandered state. I mean, how do you expect to win a Senate race with that kind of background? Well, I hope you come back here when I'll be up here debating Senator Brown about that very thing at the City Club, this now citadel of free speech. Listen, I'm proud <laughs> of, my, of my record. Um, I'm proud of the work that we've done. I'm sorry, ma'am? Can you answer the question, though? Yeah, so your question was, I proposed that the state legislature put this on the May ballot. I was yelling that from every rooftop in Columbus. They chose not to. They chose August. That's their decision, not mine. I think there's never a bad time to do a good thing, and I think a yes vote on issue one is a very good thing. And so if the people's representatives in the legislature chose to do that in August, then I'll be out campaigning for it, as I have been, in August. Thank you. Hi. Um, my name is Alexis. I have no importance right now because I recently got laid off by SiriusXM with the other media layoff. So there we go. No special interest over here, just curiosity. I would like you all, if it's possible, to give a hypothetical situation in which if this bill were to pass and which it would either help gain for, for the rest of us, would it help us or would it be against us? Because essentially you're asking us to vote for something that would make your job e either easier or harder. And we can all have our own hypotheticals of how this will affect us and our communities and the people around us, but I would imagine you already created a definition in your own mind. Your team has created a definition of that. And what is the situation that you are actually going for? So if you can give us a visual, uh, some storytelling to what it is that's going on in your head for how it would help us or how it would be against us. And if there is a specific issue that you could use in this hypothetical situation, that would be helpful. So we can all understand what is actually going on sure. in your mind. Alexis, did I hear you say you wanted to hear from each of the candidates, or each of the it's candidates? Whoever okay. feels emboldened to Let's answer. Let's just start it. with Betty Montgomery and work our way down. Well, I, I'm only going to talk to you about uh, what is a, probably a reality is that, uh, well, we know that because the secretary has already uh, put it on the, on the ballot, which is that uh, you've got abortion. So you can decide where you are given an abortion amendment that's coming up. Or you have perhaps a, a redistricting uh, matter coming up uh, down the road here that will make a difference in what, what, what does your House and Senate districts look like? What do they look like? You have coming up uh, uh, a cure period right now for legalization of marijuana. So 
so these are three examples of what's coming over the hill or already here. And for some, for some of us, we will look at and understand that the reason the rush to an August election was placed is because some of these amendments are contra to where the legislature generally has been, uh, with particularly with abortion. So there's, there are three examples. Um, other than that, I can't hypothetically, uh, but I appreciate your question. As I've mentioned, Ohio has agriculture as our number one industry. I happen to re represent a very agricultural heavy district. I'm proud to have been born and raised on a farm. My husband is currently a farmer. Agriculture is extremely important to the economic vitality and heritage of this state. I am very concerned about special interests who do not farm, who do not understand best agricultural practices, putting an amendment on this ballot and it passing with a very simple majority by many people who don't know about agriculture. That's concerning to me. And so I think if we're going to propose these types of changes, I want to see a very broad consensus because even to the issues that the former attorney general has mentioned that are coming down the pike, I think if those issues are actually good enough for the state of Ohio, they should be passed with a broad consensus. And that's why I support issue one and encourage you to vote yes. Is there a specific issue that you're worried about coming in the future that would impact agriculture? Absolutely. We know from other states such as California that different livestock practices have been introduced on the ballot. And again, as someone who's been born and raised on a farm and who trusts that farmers are going to implement the best agricultural practices that they know, I don't believe that those practices are best changed via ballot initiative especially. Thank you. Mr. LaRose. Uh, Alexis, thank you for your question, and I hope that you find new work, and I hope that it, uh, it's, it's a great new start for you. Um, you asked for a hypothetical. There have been a few mentioned here. There's this abortion amendment in November. There's something about livestock agriculture that could come our way. There's one that's currently being proposed right now. There's a signature gathering effort currently underway to massively increase the minimum wage in Ohio, which I think would put more people out of work and would cause businesses to die. And so that's one of those hypotheticals. Um, controversial issues, I think, are best handled in law, statute, and those can be changed by the General Assembly or through the initiated statute process, which still remains at 50% plus one. But I think that Ohio's great strength, really historically throughout our, our state's history, is the great diversity of Ohio. We're a state that is in many ways a microcosm of this country, and I don't just mean ethnic diversity, but also diversity of thought. Uh, geographical diversity. We're, we're, we're a state that, that has a lot of different flavors to it. And so if you can't get 60% to agree on something, then it's probably not popular enough to go in our Constitution. You can get 51 or 52%, you can change the law, but you should be able to build a broad bipartisan coalition from north, south, east, and west, and all over Ohio before you change the foundational document, the Constitution. 51% change the law, in excess of 60%, go ahead, change the Constitution. I don't know that there's, uh, maybe other than the casino amendment, any amendment that the citizens of Ohio have initiated that you would object to. Would you object to the last amendment that raised the minimum wage? I mean, I, I, I just don't understand it. Alexis, here's my hypothetical. Um, the reproductive rights issue will be on the ballot. They've passed uh, the petitions that it's on the ballot. They didn't have to worry about gathering signatures in 88 counties, but they did, uh, and, and they have met the minimum requirements. Um, I'm imagining a, an anti-gerrymandering 
uh, amendment that is real, that, that doesn't permit uh, the legislature or the Supreme Court and the state or somebody else to monkey with it, right? That kind of an amendment comes up. In the future, it would have to gain uh, uh, support in 88 counties. And there would probably be about 60% of the legislators who would campaign actively against putting that on the ballot because it would affect their legislative districts. And let's imagine that in some counties, small, medium-sized counties, whatever, we came close to getting the, the number of signatures, but then we found out that we were short, like the current uh, initiative for a legislative initiative on marijuana, which is 600 signatures short, according to your office. 670. But they have 10 days to fix that, right? But in the future, we wouldn't have 10 days to fix it. This is what's happening. This effort isn't simply to raise the, the, the number from 50 plus 1 to 60%. It is to make it much, much harder, the hardest in the nation for citizens to put an issue on the ballot. And that is wrong. Thank you. Let's go. Good afternoon, my name is Nicholas Glan, and I'm a proud history student at THE Ohio State University. So my question is to the yes side. So there have been <coughs> accusations of gerrymandering thrown today, which I think are founded. So let's say the Democratic side had supermajorities in the state legislature because they gerrymandered them and they attempted to pass this same exact uh, amendment where they raise the threshold, cut the cure period, and uh, our wonderful triumvirate, as our attorney general mentioned. Would you still support this, or would you believe this is still a power grab by the Democratic Party if they had a supermajority gerrymander? 100% support it, yeah. And so but here's the thing that we know. There's no such thing as a permanent majority. Uh, this, mm -hmm. The pendulum always swings, mm -hmm. right? And, and so there will be some point in the future where my party may not have commanding supermajorities in the state legislature and may not have elected overwhelmingly every statewide office holder in the state, as we have, which again, state lines aren't gerrymandered whatsoever. And the, the, the fact is that this is good for... That the uh, legislative lines are gerrymandered then, if the state lines are? I, again, that can be left to, to one's own opinion, and there are diversity of opinions on this, but the state lines have been in place since 1803. So what we're talking about is the state of Ohio that is center-right. I think it's very clear about that. And it, when the state of Ohio changes someday, maybe generations from now, and is not, then this will still be in place to protect the minority. Right, because that's really what supermajority uh, requirements are all about, is to make sure that you can't make a permanent and lasting change to your constitution unless you build a consensus. Lawmaking, again, 50% constitutions should be a higher threshold. And I would just say yeah. along, along yeah, those lines, it's known that in the past there have been proposals to raise this threshold that were supported by both parties. And so I would just add that I think that this is good, sound public policy to raise that threshold to 60% so that with the changing times, our Constitution is protected. I, th I think the problem is when you combine it with an August election and no cure period and the 44 county, uh, adding 44 more counties, it's that combination which makes this a toxic amendment. Yeah, thank you. Let's get in this last question if we can. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Noam Stern. I'm a doctor. I do uh, pediatric medicine. Um, 
My question is for you, Representative Manchester. I know it's been mentioned that Secretary of State LaRose had previously said August elections are not good. I do want to actually sh share the official statement he put out on December 9th, 2021. He said, quote, August special elections uh, generate chronically low turnout because voters aren't expecting an election to occur. This is bad news for the civic health of our state. Interest groups often manipulatively put issues on the ballot in August because they know fewer Ohioans are paying attention. As a result, the side that wins is typically the one that has a vested interest in the passage of the issue. Voters are just as capable of voting on these important issues during the standard primary and general elections. Um, the Fraternal Order of Police of Ohio has come out in opposition to issue one. Um, as government overreach and specifically cited uh, it being an August election. Um, and their official statement said, there's no better, better example of that overreach than the General Assembly deciding last year to end August special elections only to rush issue one onto the ballot this year. So it's been asked, but I haven't heard an answer. Why did you vote to have issue one come up in August right now? And that question is for me, yes, correct? Yes, because okay, you're perfect. the legislator that voted <laughs> Absolutely. For it. Yeah. I had the opportunity to vote on it. In fact, I introduced the bill to allow for the special election in the House of Representatives because we wanted to get this on the ballot in May, and my colleagues and I worked very hard to do that. When that opportunity passed, we felt that the best opportunity was in August. I did vote in favor of eliminating August special elections in certain circumstances when that bill came up in the legislature. And as the secretary pointed out before, those very local elections are incredibly different from a statewide election. As I mentioned, last August we had a special election due to the redistricting process, and that is how all of our state representatives were elected. I'm proud to say that as a person who was on the ballot last August, it was very difficult to campaign in an August election, but we did it, and my district had a very high turnout as a result. As a statewide issue, this is something that, again, all of you are here today because you care about this issue and you want to participate in the process, and I have great faith in the citizens of Ohio that they are paying attention and that they are going to participate and make their voice heard on August 8th. We're going to have to leave it there because of time, but they'll all be here to speak with shortly if you, if you would like an individual question. Representative Manchester, thank you so much. Secretary of State LaRose, A.G. Montgomery, Governor Celeste. We would like to welcome also and thank the guests at tables hosted by Cleveland State University College of Law, Levin College of Public Affairs and Education, Cuyahoga County Democratic Party, Ohio Secretary of State, and the Young Latino Network. Thank you all for being here today. Friday, coming up on the 28th, Dr. Yog Singh of the Harvard Medical School will discuss his new book, Future Care, Sensors, Artificial Intelligence, and the Reinvention of Medicine. That will actually be our last forum here at 850 Euclid. As you know, the City Club is moving to Playhouse Square this coming fall. Forums in August will be free. A reminder, they are at Playhouse Square outside. In September, we'll be at the new home, 1317 Euclid Avenue. You can find out more about everything at thecityclub.org. That brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you to our panelists. Thank you to our friends, members, and the City Club. I'm Rick Jackson. We are adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org.
Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.